The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. My name is Greg Fraser. I am professor of history and political studies at the Masters University. I'm also dean of the John P. Stead School of Humanities. Uh, I have a PhD degree from Claremont Graduate University, and I was an undergraduate at the Masters University when it was Los Angeles Baptist College. Today I'm going to talk about how to live biblically in political society. Um, this is, I think, an important uh, subject in our culture. It's an important subject in any culture. But in the United States, um, we haven't really thought too much about government and politics because uh, the United States, frankly, has what I would consider to be the best political system in the history of the world. And so there hasn't really been much trouble, especially for believers. But um, more recently, uh, believers have some challenges in this area. And so we want to talk a little bit about how to live biblically in political society. To begin with, we need to establish a couple of things uh, out of Romans 13. So, some of you might uh, expect that we would spend time in Romans 13 and because that is the passage of scripture that arguably deals most comprehensively with politics and government uh, in all of the Bible. Uh, it's well known for that. And in fact, it's well known for good reason because it is the most comprehensive. So we, uh, I wanna look at the beginning of Romans 13 just to establish a couple of things before we get into how to live biblically in political society. The first thing to recognize is uh, Romans 13, verse 1. Romans 13, verse 1 says, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So this first principle is that God is the source of government authority and legitimacy. Uh, Paul actually says it three different ways. He says, let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, which, of course, includes everybody. There's no exception there. And he says it in both a negative and a positive way. He says, there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So we can't really speak to uh, the government of Narnia or Gondor or some other imaginary uh, system, but in terms of real life, those systems that exist, those governments that exist, their authority comes from God. It doesn't mean that God set up the system. It means that they exercise authority that comes from God, and that authority can be manifest in a number of different ways. And as I just already said, I think the American system is the best manifestation of that in the history of the world. Uh, except for, of course, when God was ruling himself under the Mosaic Commonwealth as king. Uh, but in terms of man-made systems, it's, I think, the best. So the authority that governing authorities use and flex and wield comes from God. He is the source of that authority. That's the first principle that we need to understand. The second principle is the purpose of civil government. And in verse 2, it says, Therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. If you oppose government, that government has its authority from God, and so you are opposing the ordinance of God. But verse 3 and 4 give us the purpose of civil government. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, 
but for evil. You want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. So here we see that the purpose of government is to restrain evil. That is its fundamental primary purpose and the primary function of civil government, to restrain evil. And Paul explains that this is done two different ways. One, by praising good behavior, and two, by punishing bad behavior. So it's very similar to what parents deal with with their children. You praise the child when the child does well, and you punish the child when the child does not do well, or not do well, but does something wrong. And that's what government does to restrain evil. So with those two principles in mind, let's turn to a look at how then we should live uh, in political society in our context in the United States, but it really, this holds true in any context, uh, no matter where you are, what time period, or uh, what part of the world you're in. This is how to live biblically in political society. So let's look at some principles here. First of all, we need to establish that political involvement is perfectly proper. There's nothing wrong, as the Anabaptists believed, that there's nothing wrong with being involved in government. Uh, we have, for example, the examples of Joseph and Daniel in the Old Testament who were very involved in government. In fact, uh, Joseph was actually essentially ruling Egypt for a number of years. And so political involvement is perfectly fine. The Bible never says we should not be involved in, in politics, uh, whether it's as an occupation, as it was with Daniel or Joseph, or whether it's just an avocation something that you like doing, something that you, that you like to pursue in your spare time, etc. Political involvement, first of all, is perfectly proper, nothing wrong with it. But, secondly, believers should lower their expectations from government. Believers should lower their expectations from government. First of all, we need to understand that government, civil government, is created by fallen men. The United States government, I always tell my students that the United States government is, as I said, the best government in the history of the world, but it's not perfect. It was made by fallen men, uh, and so men who make errors, and so it's not perfect. And so we've been working out some of those imperfections throughout the history of the country, and it's still imperfect. So we should lower our expectations in that sense. Secondly, it's run by largely fallen, unredeemed men the people who run the system, who run the current governmental system, are largely unredeemed. And either way, they're fallen. And so they're imperfect. And so they make mistakes. And so we should recognize that. Thirdly, there's also a satanic influence in government. The Apostle John, through his gospel and then through his epistles, uh, frequently and repeatedly talked about Satan being the ruler of this world. And by that he meant this world system. And as the ruler of this world system, he influences governments. In fact, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verses 13 and 20, we see that Satan actually sends demons to influence particular nations. And so there's a satanic influence in the world. And so if we get involved in the political system and the political structure, 
Uh, we ought not to think that the world is going to be really receptive to what the Bible teaches. We ought not to think that we can walk into some type of um, legal discussion or lawmaking session and just quote from the Bible and everybody will say, okay, yeah, let's do that. Uh, because there's a lot of satanic influence. Now, having said that, Satan is not autonomous. He's not more powerful than God. And so God has instituted government specifically for the purpose of restraining evil. So Satan does evil through the governmental system, but God restrains evil through that same governmental system. And God makes it all turn out according to his plan because he is more powerful than Satan. He is sovereign. And so the governmental system works to restrain the evil that Satan tries to manipulate through the governmental system. Just think of it, for example, of Satan uh, wanting to uh, kill Jesus, and that, of course, God turns in his sovereign plan into salvation for the, all the believers. So uh, there's a satanic influence of government. We need to recognize that and therefore, again, lower our expectations somewhat from government. Fourth, we need to understand that government by its nature is confiscatory and coercive. Now, I've only got two CO words there, so this isn't a complete sermon. I've got to have to have three words that start with CO to have a sermon. But uh, confiscatory and coercive. Uh, in 1 Samuel 8, which I argue is basically the Romans 13 of the Old Testament, the best passage concerning government in the Old Testament, uh, we learn that the government is confiscatory and coercive. Um, let me just read very rapidly First uh, Samuel 8, verses 10 to 18, just to illustrate this point. Now, what's the context here is that the people, God is ruling the Israelites, and the people don't want God to rule them anymore. They want a king like the other nations, as they say. In other words, they don't want to be ruled by God and his law. They want a king like the other nations that would allow them to do what's right in their own eyes, which they end up with in the book of Judges. So they come to Samuel, and they want Samuel to give them a king like the other nations. And God tells Samuel, go ahead and give them what they want, and we'll see if they like it, basically. Uh, and that's the context of, of chapter 8, verses 10 to 18. Very quickly, this is what it says. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked of him a king. And he said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest, and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. And he will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Now, I purposely emphasized a particular verb as I read through that very quickly, and that is the word take. Uh, over and over again, uh, the king will take this, the king will take that. 
Uh, and that's because civil government is by its nature confiscatory. It takes. Uh, when I teach this in my classes, I'll have a whiteboard and I'll write the word takes on the board and then just adjust the K a little bit and the word takes becomes taxes. Because that's why government taxes. Because government is non-productive. It doesn't produce anything and therefore, and it needs things, so it takes them. And government is also coercive. That's what the chariots and taking thousands and fifties and horses and so forth is all about. The fact that government is coercive, it uses force. In fact, it uses force to make people pay taxes who would not otherwise voluntarily pay taxes. So we need to understand that we're not, we shouldn't be shocked when we see the government using force or see the government taxing us. That's what governments do. And so we shouldn't expect anything else. And then finally, in this area of expectations, we need to understand that all groups and all political parties have their own agendas. They all have their own agendas and they want to manipulate us. They want to move us in the direction that supports their particular agenda. And so uh, each new regime, for example, new uh, presidential, uh, when the president changes and a new administration comes in, they change policies and they move them in the direction that they want. Uh, and that's because all groups and all parties have agendas. Uh, most of you who are listening probably have a political party preference and you think the other guys have an agenda and they're trying to manipulate you, but so is your party. All the groups and all the parties are trying to manipulate us and trying to move us in the, the direction that they want. No one's really, in terms of groups and parties, individuals might be, but in terms of groups and parties, nobody's really in it for you. They're all in it for their own purposes and their own goals. And so in all of these ways, we need to lower our expectations for politics and recognize as believers that there's a satanic influence there, that there are fallen, um, flawed individuals who have set up the system and who are running the system, and that the system is necessarily coercive and confiscatory. It necessarily uses force and it necessarily takes our stuff from us. And that all groups and all parties have an agenda and they want us to do what they want us to do and they're not really in it for our benefit or for our sake. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Master's University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, visit masters.edu.